You're listening to Deep Breaths, updates from Chest on ReachMD. This non-CME education was brought to you by Chest and was sponsored by AstraZeneca. Your host is Dr. Demands Haynes, who's a professor of medicine at the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care at the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson. Welcome to Deep Breaths, updates from Chest on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Demands Haynes. And this is our third podcast in this series about asthma control. Today's discussion will focus on inhaled therapy and expert opinions on asthma treatment. And joining me to talk about this are Dr. Najira Lugogo and Dr. Neil Skolnick. Dr. Lugogo is a clinical professor of internal medicine in the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at the University of Michigan Health. Welcome to you, Najira. Thank you so much for having me. And Dr. Skolnick is a professor of family and community medicine at the Sidney Kimmel Medical College of Thomas Jefferson University and the associate director of the Family Medicine Residency Program at Jefferson Health Abington. Neil, it's great to have you with us as well. Demands, it's a pleasure to be here. So starting with you, Neil, let's talk about short-acting beta agonist, or SABAs for short. Can you give us a quick review of how these work? be my pleasure. Now, we all know that Saba's short-acting beta agonists treat symptoms by causing airway bronchodilation. They work by binding to the beta-2 adrenergic receptors. They produce smooth muscle relaxation through all these complicated mechanisms of increased production of cyclic AMP. But the reality is that Saba's have a good and bad aspect to them. They are very good for bronchodilation. They work quickly within minutes, and they make patients generally feel a lot better with rapid onset. But that's a double-edged sword, which leads us, of course, to the bad aspect of SABAs. And that's that they don't address the underlying inflammation. So since patients feel better quickly, they often don't come into the office and ask for controller therapy so long as they're able to keep worse symptoms at least somewhat at bay. The fact that this leads to adverse outcomes is something we've known for years. There was a classic paper by SUSA in American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine way back in 1994 that showed that mortality risk increases after just one to two canisters of Saba use per month. Now, subsequent studies recently in the European Respiratory Journal 2020 show that at just three to five canisters per year of albuterol use, we begin to see an increased risk of mortality. And at six to 10 canisters a year, the hazard ratio was 4.7. That that is mind-bogglingly high and pretty scary for something that patients reach for all the time thinking they're making their asthma better. So with that in mind, let's turn to you, Najira. How do inhaled corticosteroids work in our asthma patients? So we all know that inhaled corticosteroids work by reducing airway inflammation. But what we may not think about or talk about is how inhaled corticosteroids accomplish the task of reducing airway inflammation and perhaps some new ways in which inhaled corticosteroids are working in patients with asthma. 
So in terms of anti-inflammatory therapy, inhaled corticosteroids have some early onset effects that occur within minutes. These are so-called non-genomic effects. They work by decreasing bronchiovascular blood flow, reducing inflammatory mediators, and increasing beta-2 agonist bronchodilation. So that's something quite interesting, which is that medications that you're inhaling for anti-inflammatory therapy actually have a synergistic impact on bronchodilation. The inhaled corticosteroids themselves also have some mild bronchodilatory effects outside of beta agonists. And then there are late effects that occur within 4 to 24 hours that we call genomic effects. These include decreasing pro-inflammatory gene transcription, increasing anti-inflammatory gene transcription, which in turn downregulates inflammation, AOA edema, mucus hypersecretion, and mucus plugging, and also at the same time increasing beta-2 receptor gene transcription, which is a critical component of making bronchodilators work better. And in fact, if you overuse SABAs, particularly as monotherapy, you get significant beta receptor downregulation, which makes the SABA medications ineffective. And so our inhaled corticosteroids are actually quite critical, both as anti-inflammatory therapies and in improving bronchodilation in patients that have asthma. So Najira, what you just described really says, or it makes it seem like that inhaled corticosteroids help our SABAs work better. Is that a good way to think about it? Absolutely. And there are studies that are out there where patients have been given short-acting beta agonists four times a day. For instance, the Denali study was recently published where they gave albuterol four times a day versus albuterol and budesonide four times a day versus budesonide four times a day. And what you saw by 12 weeks is a reduction in bronchodilation to albuterol versus albuterol budesonide in the acute phase over 60 minutes after the medication was given, after the patients had been on albuterol four times a day for 12 weeks. And that's a way of demonstrating that there may be beta receptor downregulation and that overusing this medication as monotherapy actually can cause a reduction in bronchodilation over time. For those just tuning in, you're listening to Deep Breaths, Updates from Chest on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Demons Haynes, and today I'm speaking with Drs. Najira Lugogo and Neil Skolnick about inhaled therapies for asthma. Now, I think that discussion about inhaled therapy is a good segue to talk about expert opinions on the treatment of asthma. So coming back to you, Neil, can you talk a little bit about the focus updates from NAEPP from 2020? Of course, I had the privilege of serving on the expert working group four that helped put together the guidelines, and we did a comprehensive, in-depth review of smart therapy based on that comprehensive evidence review commissioned by the NAEPP, as well as meta-analysis published in JAM in 2018 and updated in 2022. It is clear that smart therapy decreases exacerbations by about 30% when compared to continuing the same dose of ICS LABA and by a little over 20% when compared to a higher dose of ICS LABA. And that's why smart therapy using inhaled budesonide for motorol is recommended as the preferred therapy for steps three and four for patients with moderate to severe persistent asthma. Thanks so much for that, Neil. 
Senator Jeter, what does GINA 2023 tell us about asthma treatment? GINA 2023 is very clear in one aspect. The strategy is to pair anti-inflammatory with fast-acting relievers, regardless of asthma severity. The patients that have relatively limited symptoms take ICS, fast-acting reliever, be it famotidol or albuterol for rescue or when they have acute symptoms. And the patients that have relatively more active disease and require twice-daily treatment take ICS famotidol for maintenance and reliever or, in the absence of ICS famotidol therapy, take other maintenance therapies, either with Vilantrol salmeterol with ICS albuterol rescue therapy. And so what Gina is really focused on now is empowering clinicians by giving them various tracks to follow to prioritize risk mitigation by giving anti-inflammatory therapies anytime a fast-acting reliever is used. And more importantly, a fundamental change has been made in the last few years, which is that Saba-only treatment is no longer recommended. And so despite having patients that maybe have relatively few symptoms, when those patients have symptoms, they have inflammation and bronchoconstriction. They need to be treated with an ICS fast-acting reliever therapy, either in the form of maintenance and reliever therapy or what we now call AIR, which is anti-inflammatory reliever therapy. And we really are trying to accomplish something big here. We have so many good drugs. And as Neil mentioned in the earlier podcast, we have patients that are still dying of asthma. Yet we've had in our hands a therapy that significantly reduces the risk of dying. In fact, if you fill more than six canisters a year of ICS and use them, your mortality goes down 50%. And he just shared some very concerning details about how using high doses of Saba can increase mortality in asthma exacerbations. So we really need to embrace a new paradigm where we just simply do not give patients with asthma monotherapy with short-acting beta agonists anymore. And we really need to be sure in the event that you are providing patients with any kind of Saba therapy in the context of underlying maintenance therapy, that they are actually adherent with their maintenance therapies. Najira, thanks so much for those comments. And as we come to the end of today's program, Neil, can you share some key takeaways from our discussion today? If I think of three key points, the first is that inflammation is critical to the development of exacerbations. We've known for years that it was a critical part of control. We've now learned that it is a critical part of ongoing exacerbations. That's point number one. Number two, Prior to an exacerbation, there is a window of opportunity where patients have increased symptoms and their peak flow begins to go down, and they begin to use their albuterol more often for relief of symptoms, which leads to important point number three, that the use of ICS Saba instead of albuterol alone leads to a substantial decrease in the likelihood of someone going on from that window of opportunity where they're seeing increase in symptoms onto a full-blown exacerbation so that we have an opportunity to be part of a new paradigm of rescue therapy 
where we use ICS Saba as the standard of rescue therapy and in by so doing can reduce the likelihood of patients having asthma exacerbations. Neil, thanks for recapping all of that for us. And with those key takeaways in mind, I want to thank my guests, Dr. Najira Lagogo and Dr. Neil Skolnick, for joining me to discuss inhaled therapies for the treatment of asthma. Najira and Neil, it was great speaking with you both today on this third podcast. Well, it was great speaking with you as well. Thank you so much. This has been Deep Breaths, updates from CHEST on ReachMD. This non-CME education was brought to you by CHEST and was sponsored by AstraZeneca. To access this and other episodes in this series, visit Deep Breaths, updates from CHEST on ReachMD.com, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.